Tonya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. I do think that all these are among the most accomplished people in in the United States and maybe in the world. They have a certain degree of humility about them. They don't really say uh, how great they are. Nobody said, look at all the great things I've done. Even Bill Gates never brags about, you know, how much wealth he's accumulated or anything like that. You, if you interviewed Bill Gates and you know who he was, you wouldn't know he was that wealthy a person. I never interviewed, um, you know, Abraham Lincoln, obviously, but I suspect he wouldn't have said, you know, I won the Civil War. I deserve a lot of credit. I kind of did it single-handedly. That isn't his persona. And so I think, you know, the great people in the world, the people you most admire are people that don't brag about themselves. They let other people say they might have done good things. And that's like, I, humility is what they all have in common, as well as they're recognizing that the greatest pleasure in life is helping other people. It's not by accumulating more material possessions. That's David Rubenstein, billionaire businessman and philanthropist who is now making a mark as an author and host of his namesake show on PBS and Bloomberg TV. Today on World Footprints, David discusses his newest book, How to Lead, Wisdom from the World's Greatest CEOs, Founders, and Game Changers. For 30 years, David Rubenstein traveled the world 240 days a year, building the Carlyle Group into one of the world's largest and most successful private equity firms. We were happy to have him on World Footprints in the past to talk about his last book, now a bestseller, The American Story, Conversations with Master Historians. Known for his philanthropy in the Washington, D.C. area, Mr. Rubenstein is chairman of the boards of trustees of the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts, the Smithsonian Institution, and the Council on Foreign Relations. An original signer of the Giving Pledge, a pledge taken by some of the world's richest individuals to either give away the majority of their wealth to philanthropy in their lifetime or in their wells. Mr. Rubenstein's generosity has been recognized as a recipient of the Carnegie Medal of Philanthropy and the MoMA's David Rockefeller Award. Here's our conversation with David Rubenstein. David Rubenstein, welcome back to World Footprints. Thank you again for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. And I want to start our interview with a little bit of gratitude. As a former cellist, I'm so grateful that you included and showcased the performing arts with an interview of Yo-Yo Ma, one of my heroes, in your new book, How to Lead. Thank you for that. Thank you. Uh, uh, Yo-Yo Ma is somebody I've gotten to know. He's obviously the best cello cellist in the world, I would say, but also a great cultural ambassador. And that's one of the great things about him. He's really more than just a cellist. And he let me play on his Stradivarius, uh, a twinkle, twinkle little star, which uh, I'm sure Mr. Stradivari was turning over at his grave when that was happening, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> now, your newest book, How to Lead, has insights from a number of leaders from the creative side to business CEOs, military leaders, and political leaders. Why this book at this time and with the individuals that you selected? Well, to be honest, you know, these books take about a year and a half in preparation. So it wasn't as if I said, the day this comes out, we'll obviously have a leadership crisis. So I can't <laughs> say I was that prescient. But it was a book that uh, was based on the TV interviews I've done with Bloomberg TV. And all those interviews, I always always focus on what is a leader, what, what made these people leaders. I'm always curious about it. And so if you read the book, you'll see that I always ask people, how did they overcome 
disadvantages in life and so forth, and what are the keys to leadership. And at the beginning of the book, I talk about what I think are the keys to leadership, and some of people may disagree with them, but I think it's a focus, overcoming uh, disadvantages, failing, learning how to really be an expert, sharing the credit, things like that. Well, I'm going to take a page from your book and, uh, and ask you a question that you, you like to ask others. How did you become a leader? Well, as I said in the beginning of the book, luck is one of the most important things, so I got very lucky. I wasn't a great student in high school. I wasn't a great athlete. I wasn't a charming or handsome person, so I didn't think I was going to amount to very much. And then I got lucky in life, and I failed along the ways, and I picked myself up. But my business took off. And when it did, I became involved with philanthropy, and that led to a lot of other things that I've now done. And so I, my biggest problem now is that I'm 71 years old, and, you know, when you're 71, you're not going to live as long as when you're 51. So I'm now racing to get everything done. I call it sprinting to the finish line because I'm trying to get things done. And with COVID, as we all know, you know, something bad could happen all of a sudden, and a 71-year-old could be gone. So I am trying to be careful, but I'm also trying to get the most out of life. One of the things about this time with COVID-19 is that it puts a spotlight on leadership during a time of crises. And I know that individuals such as Oprah and Bill Gates have been prominent during this time, whether they've been speaking to thought leaders or talking about our response to the pandemic. What do you see about leadership during times like this and in terms of those key traits that really come to the surface? Well, when I originally wrote the book, I had said, here are the 12 leadership traits I think are most important. And in the end, I rewrote it and I added another one, which was rising to the occasion in a time of crisis. Because in the end, if you can be a good leader, but if you don't have a crisis in front of you, you don't really show your leadership. So Abraham Lincoln might have been a person we never really heard of if we hadn't had the Civil War. He might have been a nice person from Illinois, but it was the Civil War that propelled him to the greatness. The same with FDR, let's say, or George Washington. So I think right now we have a lot of problems in the country. The pandemic is one, the economy is another, the Black Lives Matter and other forms of discrimination and and other violence we have. These are all challenges that you need some really good leadership. And, you know, I think right now, without saying somebody is a leader or not a leader, I do think we need younger people to say, I want to make a difference in the world. So I don't want people to think that if you go into government, you're condemned to be just a politician. You can be a leader, but it's difficult to get the best people to go into the country, go into government these days. The best people in our country went into the Constitutional Convention, you could say, 200 plus years ago. Today, who would be in the Constitutional Convention? Would it be all politicians, where you'd only want people in the House or the Senate, or you want a cross-section? Obviously, the most talented people are not in that area. Most of the talented people are having radio talk shows, I think. Oh, well, hopefully that, that, will, that will be us. <laughs> this is the award-winning World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. World Footprints connects you to the world through powerful storytelling that uncovers the full narrative of our cultural and human experiences. Travel deeper by visiting our website, worldfootprints.com, and make sure you sign up for our newsletter and receive a special gift we have just for subscribers. Here's more of our conversation with philanthropist and businessman David Rubenstein as we discuss his newest book, How to Lead, Wisdom from the World's Greatest CEOs, Founders, and Game Changers. A conversation I had with my Uncle Michael, who was very, very successful. He ran the Army Air Force Exchange Service overseas, Europe was his last um, assignment. And we had this conversation about family members and 
those within the family members who actually go on and, and who are ambitious and go on to do great things, who may, you know, have a sibling that could give a toss about, you know, making uh, great accomplishments. How does that happen? I mean, success isn't, it's not part of one's DNA, perhaps, but it's very rare to have a family with two, three, four, five children, all of them turn out to be superstars. Usually one person has a little bit of luck and he or she may pull ahead of the other. And so in my case, I'm an only child, so I don't have that challenge, but I have three children and I think they're all reasonably successful, but you know, you don't know who's going to turn out to be the most successful in the end. And you've heard about sibling rivalry when you're young, you know, little kids play with each other. It gets to be much worse when they're older and one is much more successful than the other. And how do, they, how do they relate when they're older, when one is fabulously wealthy and successful and famous and one is not? Those sibling rivalries then are much more intense. Mm, yeah, I, I think I see that playing out in, in my family. Not not me, because I'm not there yet. Um, <laughs> but that, in, in that, that actually begs another question for Ian and I. We're in uh, the second third of the lives. You, you have uh, life stages in, in three. And, and so what advice do you have for those of us in the second stage, maybe closer to the end of the second stage, who are still working really hard to make something and, and have an impact and really live our purpose? If you're passionate about what you're doing, that, that nothing is more important than that. So if you love what you're doing, you'll probably be successful because passion will come through. But if you don't think you're getting everything out of life that you want, you should step back and say, okay, what can I do better? What can I do different? Should I try something different? Should I experiment here? Because nobody really knows everything they should be doing, even at the second stage of life. I've been experimenting, and I'm still experimenting on things that I'm doing. I, I've written two books in the last two years. I and For six, 70 years of my life, I never wrote a book. Now I'm writing books. I didn't have a TV show for you know 67 years of my life. Now I have one. So I'm always trying to reinvent myself so that I'm keeping myself fresh and, and trying to do something interesting. And obviously you can do the same and should. Now, one of those things that helps us maintain, I guess, and be hopeful and optimistic is traveling and being able to connect with people around the world to learn things. And even though we're not able to physically travel, we are doing that virtually. What have you gotten from being able to travel the world, whether it's meeting with world leaders or helping businesses that have a global footprint? You know, a number of years ago, even though my children were young, I took on the role at my firm of being the person who went around the world to meet people and raise money and so forth. And I would travel 240 days a year. Now I'm looking back and saying that I waste my 30 years doing that because I could have done it on Zoom. Now, Zoom wasn't invented then. But I'm wondering now, when the pandemic goes away, should I go back and start traveling again? Or should I say I can do it on Zoom? And I don't really know, you know, what's the better thing to do. But there's no doubt that by meeting people from all over the world, Zoom or in person, you get a different perspective. You learn more. You make contacts. And it, it's been an enriching part of my life. I, you know, I've spent a large part of my life traveling around the world. Now I know people from all over the world. It's been a great part of my life. And I fear that maybe people won't, won't, won't want me to come back anymore because they'll say, just do it by Zoom. So I, I don't know whether I'm going to miss that part of my life or not. I don't know. Well, as travel journalists, I'll, I'll, I'll say travel. Please travel. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll try to do that. <laughs> well, I mean, but do you think that, you know, by traveling and interacting with people who look different from you and being immersed in other cultures, doesn't that actually help shape oh. good leaders? Because, of course. Yeah. yeah. 
if you have never traveled outside the United States, you don't have the perspectives you should have to be a great leader. And I think understanding the cultural diversity of the world is important and also understanding people's perspectives. So I think I'm a much better person for having spent a lot of time running around the world, getting to know people from different cultures. I'm not as isolated and insulated as I would otherwise have been. You know, and everybody doesn't have that same privilege. In fact, think about this. What percentage of Americans have passports? 5%. Yeah. 5%. That's it. So most Americans are not going anywhere. As we think about your collection of superstars and how to lead, is there a, a fact or two that stood out from some of these interviews that really surprised you about some of the individuals featured? Or maybe even taught you something. Well, I do think that all these are among the most co- accomplished people in the, in the United States and maybe in the world. They have a certain degree of humility about them. They don't really say uh, how great they are. Nobody said, look at all the great things I've done. Even Bill Gates never brags about, you know, how much wealth he's accumulated or anything like that. You, if you interviewed Bill Gates and you know who he was, you wouldn't know he was that wealthy a person. I never interviewed, um, you know, Abraham Lincoln, obviously, but I suspect he wouldn't have said, you know, I won the Civil War. I deserve a lot of credit. I kind of did it single-handedly. That isn't his persona. And so I think, you know, the great people in the world, the people you most admire, are people that don't brag about themselves. They let other people say they might have done good things. And that's like, I, humility is what they all have in common, as well as they're recognizing that the greatest pleasure in life is helping other people. It's not by accumulating more material possessions. Yes. So as we wrap up, I just want to ask you one last question, and we're going back to the space we live, which is travel. Okay. If you could choose anyone to sit next to on a long-haul flight, past or present, who might that be and why? The most uh, impressive American who's ever lived, in my view, was Abraham Lincoln. He held the country together. So I'd want to have him on one side of me, for sure. And then on the other side of me, you know, George Washington wouldn't be bad to talk to him either. And I would probably have right behind me Abigail Adams, who I think deserves a lot of credit for things that happened early on in our country's history. Uh, there have been a lot of impressive people. But of the people living today, I think I would love to interview and maybe sit alongside uh, the Pope. But he doesn't do interviews, so I haven't interviewed him. Queen Elizabeth, look at all the stuff she's seen, but I haven't really uh, found that she does any interviews. So I, I admire a lot of people, but I admire people that have accomplished things, but don't brag about them, and accomplish things because they really want to help other people. That's the most important thing. Oh, bless. We would love to have you back uh, for a longer period. Ten minutes is not enough time. All right. uh, David, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, David. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. I really love our conversations with David Rubenstein. And what I really enjoyed was the connection we shared with him and some of the, the shared values, just to hear him echo some of our values back to us. But, you know, it just goes to show the power of generosity when you embrace our human spirit, when you embrace mankind, when you really work and have a purpose towards helping people be the best versions of themselves. Well, a few things about David that stand out for me that weren't necessarily discussed in the interview. He grew up as an only child, which is also my experience. And he's from Baltimore. And in the foreword to his book, he cited some of the same childhood heroes I had growing up as a fan of the Baltimore Colts, Johnny Unitas and Baltimore Orioles, Brooks Robinson, whom we had the pleasure of meeting many, many years ago at the press club here in Washington. And so 
Dave is a very humble guy, but he's accomplished a lot, and he's bounced back from failure throughout his career. And so even the time that he spent in the Carter administration, four years there to recognizing that law wasn't necessarily for him, he found a way to reinvent himself. Mm -hmm. And he's doing that today, even as he mentioned, as an author, as a television host. And so it's good to know that even for folks who may not have figured it out, as long as we've got time, there's still time to really make an impact and be a leader. Right. Well, you know, I always said, uh, even in my 90s, I'm not going to shy away from reinventing myself because I'm still here and there's still time. And, um, you know, and I may even actually go back to playing the cello. And I was really, really excited about the presence of Yo-Yo Ma in David's new book, uh, you know, identifying Yo-Yo Ma as a leader. That really excites me because, as you know, honey, and as our audience, many of our audience members knows, I am such a strong advocate for the arts. I know how the arts have impacted my life, how it's really opened up the world to me. And really, I attribute the arts to my current place as a travel journalist. And speaking of travel, David also validated, too, the importance of travel, even when we can't do it right now because of Zoom and COVID-19. But going out there, exploring this world, it changes how we look at things. It changes our perspectives. And that's something that we often speak about on our show. Right. And and I know he mentioned, you know, he travels 240 days a year, which is a lot. And I, and I could hear the burnout in his voice. Uh, and, and he asked, you know, he questioned, did I was I wasting my time? And, you know, my immediate response was no, <laughs> because we're travel journalists. And we understand also the, the value of travel. What I do hope when he does return to travel, and I really hope he does, is that he travels slower and really embraces and enjoys the destination he travels to. And that will prevent the burnout and will also help expand um, his horizons and give him an opportunity to really enjoy the destinations he's traveling to for business. So in closing, we are going to leave you the words of our guest, David Rubenstein, from his newest book, How to Lead. When he was asked why should anyone really want to be a leader, David responded, First, a leader can create the type of change or results that will improve the lives of others. Secondly, a leader can motivate others to become leaders and in turn improve others' lives. And third, a leader can feel a sense of accomplishment and achievement that provides human fulfillment and happiness. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we are so honored that you chose to take this adventure with us and give us the opportunity to provide human fulfillment and happiness through the work and the words that we're sharing on World Footprints. And we're grateful that you spent this time with us and have allowed us to connect you to the world through World Footprints. This World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tonya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints, LLC, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award winning podcast is available on worldfootprints.com and on audio platforms worldwide, including iHeartRadio, Public Radio Exchange, iTunes and Stitcher. Connect with the world one story at a time with World Footprints. 
visit worldfootprints.com to enjoy more podcasts and explore hundreds of articles from international travel writers. And be sure to subscribe to the newsletter. World Footprints is a trademark of World Footprints LLC, which retains all rights to the World Footprints portfolio, including worldfootprints.com and this podcast.